Welcome to this spectacular episode of the Level Design Podcast. Just in time for Halloween, we have convened to talk about all the dark things that go bump in the console. Let's spook on with the show. Welcome, welcome to this Halloween special of the Level Design Podcast. Regular listeners might have noticed that we have been fans and even designers of horror games, and in this episode we shall revel in all things horror. I'm Mark Demonic Drew, and I shall be your host, along with my evil assistants, Jonathan Razorwire Wilson. Hey. Rob McMurder. Hello. And Valentina Crystal Scamus. Hi, everybody. At least we're getting into the, the, the mood of, of the season. Pumpkins carefully perched on our heads and scary things behind covers. I tried to scare the whole uh, podcast crew by showing them a real-life spider at the start of the show. It worked. So what we're going to be covering today in this lovely episode is the things that go bump in the night, the things that actually scare us and the games that have influenced us and the, maybe even the games that we've worked on because I know someone has worked on a couple of fairly well-known horror games but I want to ask each one of you what was the first game that actually scared you? Valentina? I mean you're the Crystal Scaremus so you can uh, go first. Well, the first game that scared me was not a horror game but if we had to choose from a horror game it would be Silent Hill. I think uh, the the psychological horror it had well you don't have to uh, like first game that scared you i mean it could be like pac-man and you'd be terrified of the ghost <laughs> okay right? okay well in that case i would i would say legacy of kane i haven't played that game fully but that's that's why i haven't played that game fully was because it was scary um just the main character and just the stuff in the game and i just played a thing probably the first half hour it scared me and i just turned it off so <laughs> i have no idea what the game is i remember the name because it scared me that, right. that's all i can give you <laughs> because i was like avoid avoid do yep. not play mm-hmm. <laughs> how about you johnny so for me it's not really a horror game either but i have very vivid memories of a clown from the original broken sword which terrified me as a very young child to be fair it looks horrific <laughs> you posted yes. it to the slack <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna add it to the show notes but it's oh my god that yeah. that's like I mean, clowns are, are bad at the worst of times, but... It took me a long time to go back to this game, to overcome my fear with clowns. Were you able to ever play it? Yes, yeah, yeah. It, it, became, it later became one of my favourite games, so... <laughs> How about you, Rob? I, I, can go, I can go super old school here, if you like. Okay. Um, the first horror game I played was a game called Nightmare Maze on the Commodore Pet, which was like a sort oh, of text wow. adventure, where you okay. walked along and randomly just died. Uh, but that wasn't very scary, I think the first game that scared me was probably Granny's Garden on the BBC Micro with the horrible witch that pops up uh, when you get something wrong or you don't do get in her cottage properly. That was really, really horrendous. And then other games that have scared me back in the day, I particularly remember Aliens vs Predator on the Atari Jaguar. Uh, that was, uh, was that the one with the vision modes? Yeah, that's right. With, with the Predator, if you're playing the Predator, you, had, you could switch between different vision modes. There was something about it. I don't know if it was a design decision or something that was they forgot to put in, but the aliens, they didn't make a sound when they moved. So you'd be walking through these kind of uh, orthographic maze environments and then you'd turn around and there'd be a train of th- three aliens chasing you. Uh, it was really, <laughs> really frighteningly. An alien conga. Were they meant to be stealthy, maybe? 
I thought maybe they were meant to be stealthy. Maybe it was a design decision to make you go, oh my God, so you'd look around and you'd suddenly get an alien in the face. Yeah, design decisions back in the... When was that actually? When was the game released? Nineties. That was yeah. It was would have been nineteen ninety five or something like that. I'm oh, very okay, yeah. pretty, pretty different design decisions when it comes to horror games. You want something selfie, just completely remove the sound. We have no budget for anything else. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, the first game that I could remember was Alone in the Dark, the first scary game. I mean, I played a whole bunch of games up until then, but I think like on the Acorn Electron and I think on the PC games. I hadn't been playing anything scary. It was all like stuff like Comanche and and stuff that was like fun, right? Not not like let's get scared for or, or narrative in a way that's scary narrative. But yeah, it was alone in the dark because I was like starting to get into computer graphics, and oh my god, vector graphics! This wasn't like Lucasfilm or anything like that. This was like full on. You know, vector graphics, of course, it looks super dated now, but I think I'm going to take a guess. This was the first game that had like that fixed camera angle. I mean, for good reasons, right? For for the technicality of it. But that really gave you a scare because you'd walk into a room and you'd never know what, you know, you had the same thing that you had in Resident Evil 1 and 2 that, you know, like the camera's in a fixed place and that's what scares you, right? So that for me was like, I, I just have remember nights at, I think, at university? Yeah, it must have been at university that playing playing that going like, it's getting dark, should we put the light on? It's certainly one of those games where you felt, felt very vulnerable because you didn't, apart from the extremely inaccurate and bad pistol shooting, which didn't work against almost all the enemies anyway, you, you had almost no way to fight back against the enemies. And because they were sort of cosmic horror style enemies where... I particularly remember the, the ballroom dancers. If you went in there, you'd just die in these horrible ways. And like Val was talking about, the, the sound adds so much, the sort of horrible choking and moaning sounds that the main character <laughs> would make as they were being eaten by these eldritch horrors. Oh, yeah, it was scary. I mean, of course, I haven't played the, the remake, but I hear one of you has. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, very different. I don't think it, it can count as an alone-in-the-dark game, but... I enjoyed it in a different way. I think I found it very, um, just if we consider it like an action horror game with a lot of different mechanics than most games. It came out in 2008, if I remember correctly, and it had just really cool graphics for back then. And it had a lot of cinematic moments that I think went unnoticed in the gaming industry because I remember Uncharted like came out in 2007 and then 2009 and it had basically about the same i would say cinematic moments and yet we'd, we'd never heard about alone in the dark it just had different types of content it had like crazy inventory which was on the actual character he would go into first person view they would open up their jacket and they would look down on the jacket and they had like little slots you could arrange put different stuff like a med kit or a spray bottle or, or some oil or whatever and you had it all in there and, you, and when you had to take something out you had to look down open the jacket take it out, combine it with something else, and then just use it. So it was pretty different. Uh, but I, I think I found, I found it enjoyable, even though it's definitely had a lot of issues. But I think it was cool for the period. I feel like it was a bit of a, um, a bridge game almost. It was where the, game, the games industry was trying to figure out how to do these things and didn't quite know how to do it yet and was mm-hmm. trying things like the first QuickTime events and cinematics and trying mm-hmm. to put them together into a coherent narrative 
and trying all those like you're talking about the immersive things of having the inventory as a literal part of your body and stuff yeah like that. yeah it felt like it was trying to figure out a lot of things it was like when the industry started doing like this third person games and just evolving them in a very different way but it was it also uh just a shout out i guess now that i remember to the soundtrack of that game because i guess soundtrack matters a lot when it comes to horror games and I'm gonna butcher the name of the composer, but I think it was Olivier de Rivière or something like that, a, a French composer that made a, like they make a lot of great soundtrack for other games, and they kind of like nailed the soundtrack for Alone in the Dark. It was pretty. It had like a whole orchestra, and like it was crazy. It was pretty good. Well, was it like one of the first, I guess, like next gen horror games to take like the leap as well, like in terms of trying to do the cinematic presentation? Because it was a PS three and 360 game right so it might have been before we got like resident evil 5 or resident evil 6 i don't remember the exact dates but yeah it was pretty different though even from resident evil 5 uh like 5 was more of an action game right uh than the previous games in the franchise but i don't know alone in the dark just felt different like if you would watch one of the cutscenes or even play some of the gameplay it actually feels cinematic just the way you play it and you have control over things. The building is crashing and falling down and you have control and you're falling and you're hanging off the ledge now. Or you're driving in the street and then the, the building, you can see a building fall down. The camera like zooms out a bit so you can see it fall. So it was pretty different, I think, in comparison to other AAA games, like horror games that came out on those consoles. I think that's what that game that you what you're describing, that's what the game did really well though. They did they still give you the action you would expect from a movie like a cinematic movie or something, but mm-hmm. they didn't put it on the gameplay, right? They didn't turn it into this action shooter, which is one of the problems you saw in Resident Evil 5 and 6. They turned that into a like just an action game. This is the thing that happens in a, in quite a few game franchises, I guess is is the way because sometimes there are different people making them, right? So I guess a franchise is the best name for it. That they turn them from something very scary with maybe some shooting, but it's generally scary, right? You've got some empowerment fancy there, but the other, the other side of it is that it scares you to something that is like, hey, let's go gung-ho. Like one of them, like one that springs to mind is Dead Space, right? So like one and two. Oh, Dead Space, amazing. What a great, what a great game. One and two, because they never made a third one, right? <laughs> we can't um, we can't erase it mark i'm sorry we can't we can't erase i'm it. trying i'm trying in our discord I, I keep on going on about like oh my god there wasn't a third one but no i mean i haven't played the much later resident evils sorry everyone but in the first one and two it's like the aiming is terrible the same thing as in in alone in the dark and that is that disempowerment in in a game mechanic in which like yeah sure you can shoot but you know good luck with that yeah, your accuracy skewed, everything like that. And extra, and I, I guess, like, obviously it was a limitation of the times in the original Resident Evil, so obviously the fixed camera angle and stuff like that. But it did help cement that horror aspect, right? Every corner you went around, you were on edge. And you were literally, it was tension. It's like, I've got three bullets left. If I walk around the corner, there's a liquor, I'm probably screwed. And then you try to run away, then you, because you can't freely run, you're kind of just hoping you're not going to run into another zombie or whatever. Um, so as much as it was probably is a kind of dis- a systemic result of the times of like what they could actually do technically it helped them build some really cool like horror scare scare scenarios the sort of limitations of the controls in resi and the early resis and um in silent hill as well you've got the wonderful tank controls that really make you almost take create a layer of um of 
uncontrollability between you and the camera you and the character so you do feel that tension of oh my god turn around quicker please <laughs> the door. oh my god i'm gonna die and, and you can see how a game director would come in there going like oh well that's the problem with the game rather than that's being its asset yes, right let's yeah. give let's give them a like uh, 180 button so you can spin 180 really quickly but you're going like well no that, that's the whole point the other thing that terrified me was i mean in resident evil 2 was the doors right I know this is a level loading mechanic. This is a mechanic that actually uh, gives you that space to to terrify yourself, mm-hmm. right? Which is uh, anticipation. Uh, the anticipation, right? So like you're being scared and you're opening a door and only once in the game do you have to like so open the door and walk into a room filled with zombies. I don't think it even happens, but someone's going to tell me on Twitter that <laughs> I was wrong. And there, there is one, but that's your anticipation. That's what you're expecting, right? Like what horrors are behind this door? And instead of it just being, ah, door opens, the level's all there, it doesn't matter. It's what Outlast did, I think, did really well uh, when you were able to open doors, and but you kind of had to hold the button and like open it yourself with the stick. So you would slowly open, you would slowly close it. So it was you controlling that, that which meant it became kind of scary because you didn't want to open that door. You didn't want to. You, you could peek through, which was helpful, but then you were scared. What if I open the door now? And I'm ac- I'm actually the one who's doing it. I'm controlling it. What if I open the door and there's something behind it? So I think. I mean, it, is there a detriment for opening it really quickly, just like slamming and kick that door open? I think you. Uh, no, there's no way to kick the door open. I think you can ju- open it a bit quicker, but it's still, it's still you kind of like doing it with the stick. So yeah, you can go quicker, but I don't think you want to either. You don't want to face what's on the other side. But it's also you have less control, right? Because I say I say less control because your hands are tied with the door opening action. So if there is something behind the door, I bet you there's a timed delay between mm-hmm. you then being able to go from door opening to gun pointing. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, and that, okay, that game didn't have any gun pointing, so it was just. Even worse, because there was no way to defend yourself. It was like, you open the door, and what if there's something behind you that I can't do anything about it? Oh, God. We could we could probably do a whole podcast just on the subject of doors. It's an infamous right. game. <laughs> well, I've been trying to upgrade from my corridor talk to my door talk. Oh, wow. Good luck with that. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's an extremely good article from Liz England. She's done a wonderful thing about how game de- game development teams work just in relation to the problem of doors. Uh, it's really, really brilliant. I feel if you if you ever do a talk on doors, Mark, you have to be very careful because you will get shouted at by lots of different people because lots of people <laughs> do it differently and disagree with you because this is why every game development team has multiple meetings about this one subject throughout the entire <laughs> development of a game. We could definitely talk about doors in horror games. I, I could I could start with some theories. I remember Silent Hill Shattered Memories doors. And yes, they, uh, you're very yeah, right. when you were running away from the enemies and you had to go through those doors. Were they actually loading screens too? If you can reveal your they, So Val is right about the, the the doors being they were effectively portals to new areas. So you'd it would I knew load. it. All, there all was the a delay rooms always. were chunks. <laughs> kind of there was a delay, but we we loaded the rooms up ahead. So there was a big trigger box around a door that started loading the next room. So once you got in that trigger box, it should have mostly loaded the next room. But I had a very big argument with the game director of Shattered Memories, Sam Barlow, about doors in Shattered Memories. The, the The whole door thing is like in Resi, a sort of anticipation, anticipatory act. So you never know what's on the other side of the door. Doors are a very sort of powerful psychological tool. And in Shattered Memories, you could uh, open the doors gradually. And uh, 
in in fact it, it was only in the combat areas the combat the sort of ice world that there was ever any enemies that you might find in the other side of doors but most people in the ice world they didn't really use that mechanic of peeking through the doors they just burst through them if you ran at the door you'd automatically sprint through and burst through it in the normal world there were no enemies but you we gave the player the ability to peek through a door and go through a door slowly and you saw players using that you know even because we didn't sort of say oh look there's nothing to fear here when you've got that atmosphere that you get in a good good horror game that that feeling of going through a haunted house even if you know you really know there's nothing there you still creep through and be really careful when you go yeah. through yeah 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 i think that's a good point it's like the player plays along basically if you give them a mechanic or the atmosphere they they want to also feel scared they're, um, they're not going to rush through it they, they they want to experience it the way you intended so if you give them the mechanic to open the door like that they'll probably do it i mean i've been doing it i think i kind of stopped towards the end because yeah i did kind of realize okay maybe this well, I wasn't expecting enemies, but I still felt like, okay, I can... It was mostly because of story, though. I wanted to progress it, so I just opened the doors a bit faster. <laughs> but yeah, it did de- definitely feel like that. Your impatience got the better of you, I mean, compared to... Uh... Yeah, so it, that wasn't my fault, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the argument I had with Sam was a very level designy argument. So he was very much of the opinion that there should be no locked doors in Shattered Memories. And locked doors and blocked doors were an absolute staple of previous Silent Hill games. You know, you'd go through a building that would have 17, 18 locked doors and maybe two doors you could actually go through. And you'd go through there and look on your map and mark. they'd be marked with an X on the map. And you'd go, oh, I go through there. And then you'd that's how you'd build up your mental map of the world. And uh, uh, Sam was very much of the opinion that this, that this was completely lame. And where that, where that bro- broke up against my uh, sense of level designer honour was the fact that we were making... Uh, buildings like schools and prisons and asylums and things like that and motels and whatever that should have a lot of doors you know these buildings do have a lot of doors a lot of classrooms a lot of uh, places to go through and um, because we said we won't have any doors and don't go anywhere that meant that if we didn't have the budget to make a room behind the door then we just didn't have a door so that was that's where the argument came from so, so wait, are all the doors then are not locked at all in Shattered Memories then? I think so. They might be locked, but you might, but it's always unlockable. So there's none that are kind of like just always blocked. Oh, uh, okay, I see. Mm-hmm. In LA Noir, I was re- listening to another episode, uh, No Clip, and I can't remember who mentioned it on No Clip. I apologize. They were saying that what they did was to make all the doors that you open have a golden door handle. And the ones that don't are just a silver door handle. And it's not made explicitly, but you just know that, that those are the ones. That... It's that consistent rule. It's like if it's every door, everyone you interact with, eventually you just subconsciously are picking up on that. And like if it's done well and done consistently, that's the point. It's that language they've established with you, the player, uh, to actually do it. Right. We've moved away from from, from horror to doors. Yeah, let's get back to horror. Let's get back to horror. Doors in horror uh, games. It's fine. Doors in horror. That's, that's another episode. I, I, I suppose, like, um, obviously, we start talking about, like, the peeking through the door. Because, obviously, as we move on and we get, like, if we get to, like, look at the Resident Evil 2 remake, for instance, there wasn't the, antis- the anticipation of press X on the door, wait for it to open anymore, right? That was gone. They weren't using it to mask a loading screen or anything like that. That kind of stuff went away. But the peeking mechanic it was available so you could slowly open a door out onto the corridor because you could hear zombies to see if you revealed them or you could hear a liquor or something like that but on the flip side you could just burst through it uh, at the same time but if you do that because 
what modern games or modern horror games start to do is use audio. If you make a sound, everything will like kind of zone in on your position. So it kind of like put makes the player a bit more cautious when they're running around. So I can't just run through this police station, especially the first time I've gone through because I haven't cleared out any zombies, I haven't cleared anything out. If I burst through something, they're all going to start coming for me and I don't know where they're coming from. And you're already feeling a bit tense because you don't have a, like, a load of bullets, you have a pistol, and in Resident Evil 2 Remake, it takes a lot to put down a zombie. So you don't really want them all to come at you at once. So you've got all these factors playing away, um, and it is making use of that small little peak mechanic of using still using a door instead. Well, it's a massive difference because you go from opening a door and then the camera being randomly placed in some corner looking at you as you come in, so the zombie could be literally standing underneath the camera for all you know, which I think has happened to me, if I remember right. Or if it didn't, that's what it felt like. Thank you, Resident Evil. I, I really like that point of uh, of Jonathan's because uh, I was I'm thinking about uh, doors in Dead Space, doors in Alien Isolation, doors in System Shock Two. There are a lot of doors that make a hell of a lot of noise uh, when you open them and attract enemies, and they also make a hell of a lot of days noise when an enemy opens them. And certainly, so you're always on edge, right? It's exactly. Like CM, you hear CM a door system. open. Yeah, you hear a door open, and you go, "Oh my god, what the hell was that? Which <laughs> door was that that opened? And where where is the thing that came through that door?" The one time that I got in real life super scared because of Resident Evil Two. This is uh, when the original came out. I was playing it in alone in a, in, in my flat, and uh, we had a long corridor to the kitchen. So like like the length of the whole flat had one corridor. That had like kind of a, a, a an ang- this is level design guys. Imagine a left and a right turn, which meant that you couldn't see all the way down the corridor, right? And we were lazy twenty somethings. We are not going to pay for lights, right? So like we had like one light in the middle of this, so you couldn't, you know, you'd half in darkness all the way. So I decided to make a sandwich halfway through playing Resident Evil. So I put my controller down. So I walk out, start heading to the kitchen. By the way, we don't have lights in the kitchen. We have a desk lamp in the in the kitchen because, again, we, this sounds like a horror scene. It's yeah, you're like... living in a horror house. Are you sure you weren't being filmed? You were the one who was going to die. <laughs> well, after I do the little L shape, which now I'm now in full darkness because the one bulb that we replaced was there, I suddenly heard behind me, which is a, exactly the same sound I've been hearing. But it was different, completely different. It wasn't like, oh yeah, the TV was on. I'd pause the PlayStation. So I walk a bit faster to the kitchen, make my sandwich, and then brave my way back to the living room, finding no zombies on the way there, by the way. Just just so you know, I sit down with my drink and my sandwich, and right to the left of me I hear... So once I'd peeled myself off the ceiling, because this was like right next to me, I realized that apart from having to buy light bulbs, we were also (laughs) going to have to get some WD-40 for the living room door that was making the exact sound (laughs) that the the, the zombies were making. And I literally jumped out of my skin. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so these these games do get inside you Mm -hmm. and, and around you. It's, it's doors, doors, right? Doors and corridors. And it's doors again. It's doors again that are scaring us. What is your favorite corridor in a horror game? Oh, that's a good question. I'd have to think about. Well, I mean, PT is like the the, the perfect the corridor, corridor because game. Yeah. 
It's a game that takes place in a corridor, yeah. Or multiple corridors. I mean, one thing that I, uh, I found about PT was that it's actually a massive game because it's got multiple corridors. Each one it resets, even though it kind of looks the same and is the same layout, but it changes again and again. And it's amazing, I, I was, we were talking before the podcast, how popular it's become, right? I mean, aside from the fact that we didn't get Silent Hills or anything like that, I, th- I still think it's massively popular because of the lack of knowledge of it, maybe. Do you know what I mean? Like, no one knew that it was a trailer. People started playing it and were fascinated by this. I remember before it became public. P- PT was before we got Resident Evil 7, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, it's like, I think that was the, it was the first glimpse of what the next fears of horror games were going potentially going to be, right? It was first person, it was very atmospheric, it was kind of super creepy, it was using 3D audio. I mean, if you play a PT with a headset on, it's 10 times more terrifying. And like, Mm -hmm. you get goosebumps, like the hairs on your arms will stand on end, and it is just because you just hear this fine detail. It was kind of just, I think it's the first example we had where all these things were put together. And it is, it's a very condensed, polished experience, but that loop, with the subtle changes as you go around each time, it's just you're all constantly on edge because you're not, like you said, the lack of knowledge. You don't know what's going on. So you're just going around again and again. Yeah. So you go like, oh my God, what's going to change next? Oh my God. Because you get to like that junction in the corridor and it's like you're, you've been on that corner three times, but you still go edging around it slower and slower each time. Because right. Because that, that, that expectation for something like, you know something's going to jump out on you. That 90-degree turn, I know it's a, a kind of level design default, you know, because, like, to make a corridor that just bends, you, you have to use a 90-degree thing. I mean, but, <laughs> you know, itself a nice 45-degree, you know, angle that you'll have in a shooter or something like that. It's a fact that you have to, like, get to the edge and appear and then turn. It's very claustrophobic. There's no space enough to... to... To rest, you just gotta turn and face what's on your right or left side. Right. So, from a level design thing, I think a lot of games try that. I mean, even Deep Space had like you know you have a door that opens up into a corridor and you have to do a turn right into it. You know, even then, it's like that 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 trope of being able to do like a you come out of a of a area into another area and it's a literal ninety degree. That's that's horror staple from design point of view, surely. A corridor is a very unpleasant place in a way because there's no way you can go. It's it's you're you're almost in like kind of one dimensional space. Or but a... as soon as you enter the corridor, you're being funneled, and as the player, you don't have a choice. Like you can go back, but you're not going to be able to progress. And it's as soon as you're on this, you're just like edging slower and slower forward because you could hear something overhead or whatever. Yeah, it's like the book uh, of a hundred one things I learned in architecture school says like it's the corridors versus the rooms, the negative and the positive space. The one is like meant to funnel you towards a destination and the other one is a destination. So like going somewhere, it's, there's builds up tension, anticipation and scares you more rather than being already at the destination. Yeah, and um, uh, the game that Mark mentioned earlier, Pac-Man, that's a game about the fear of corridors, isn't it? Because if you go in a corridor in there and a ghost comes in after you, it's like, oh no. But then if a ghost comes in in front of you as well, it's like, oh no, you're, yeah, you're, you're destroyed. Corridors are being used to scare people for years. Say, like Pac-Man did it. <laughs> we spoke about doors and corridors and we kind of briefly mentioned camera angles, but we haven't talked about those a lot and those are like kind of like the, the center of horror games. Did, are there any games that you like that have great camera angles? Oh, it's really interesting because 
many games nowadays are moving towards you know either free third person or first person gameplay it seems like the fixed camera angle is is uh, is something that's almost in the past but uh, which is a pity you know because it is a nice creative tool oh it is yeah you know it's a lovely creative tool let's not forget the one company that actually makes the horror games that have those camera angles is the super massive gifts that made until dawn and they're making the dark pictures anthology all all of them have just amazing camera angles and i think they really add to the horror especially because they're triple a quality horror games you can see you can see all the details maybe there's a rat walking or maybe suddenly the camera changes and it just I don't know, scares you a little bit. So there are some pretty good games, I think, when it comes to them. I think Until Dawn kind of proved that this there's still room to do this in a very cinematic way. And there's still only Supermassive, I feel, exploring this in terms of the horror genre. Um, not like Obviously, we still kind of get these fixed camera angles and stuff like Life is Strange, which is obviously a narrative experience, but it's not like a horror game. But you're right, for building atmosphere and building tension, like taking, once again, it's taking control away from the player, right? And that's kind of one of our powers as a designer is like it's kind of like not empowering a player right it's like anything you take away from them they're instantly they can't do anything immediately they don't have the freedom which can lead to them feeling uneasy claustrophobic when we were talking about corridors and it, it, it just it messes with you and you go through that experience and it does build the tension throughout whatever you do it could be as simple as walking through a door if you can't have free control of a camera to check around that corner you can only see it from one size it's a really powerful tool you have at your disposal yeah, you're you're, you're forcing the player to look at something as well because so you 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 are you're saying to them you have to look at this uh, I'm blinking. You close your eyes. Exactly. You can't just turn. You can't turn away. Uh, it's like that. The very famous scene in The Exorcist Three, which is just a, basically a, a two-minute-long shot of a corridor, with the nurse going into the room through a door. Again, we've got doors again, but uh, the, the 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 audience in that is transfixed. You know, you can't look away. You know something's going to happen because you've been stuck on this shot for so long. You're thinking. The dread is building. You know that something is going to happen. I mean, not there has to be a payoff, but there has to be a reason why why you're doing this shot. Apart from maybe it's the seventies and you have like four hour long shots of the same <laughs> thing. Or your Hideo Kojima son. Yeah, yeah. That kind of builds into <laughs> the question of jump scares, which is a very common um, question when considering horror games. It's the, they, they, I have, they have I have a bit strong of a bad, opinions on these. Yeah, they have a bit of a bad rep. It's quite easy to to shock someone all you have to do is pop something up in front of their face and play a scary noise and play audio yeah mm -hmm. but i have strong opinions on this uh well a strong opinion not that many that they're required at a certain point during the game right because what you have to do is like let's say if you open a door something's going to go out and attack you you do it once like you shock them with with the with the liquors in in resident evil 2 or you you shock them with something like that even though like this premonition of that but whatever but you do that once and then you don't have to do it again right because and everyone's like oh i hate jump scares it's like yeah but they're a great tool i mean if you if you're just using that as the only tool it's like using the same sound for for footsteps, you're just going to get really old real quick. But although Five Nights at Freddy's is all about jump scares, and oh, it's is all it? about camera I, I... angles as well. 
Mm, oh, I think that's the mm -hmm. next on my playlist. It's it's like the game. We have to the talk about camera angles, yeah. doors and doors. You can open and close doors there. Wow. So <laughs> yeah, by, by no, but is it about doors? Yeah. Or are by, we just saying that there are doors? And there's there's they go down the corridors, don't they? But by our rating system, Five Nights at Freddy's must be the best horror game ever made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it became really popular with the YouTube community. It did. Yeah. Well, yeah. because the uh, well. That community, uh, and I don't mean this in any disrespect, is about reaction to to a game, yeah. right? Because that's mm -hmm. what you're trying to see. You're not trying to see the game. You're trying to see the, the, the player's reaction. And a jump scare is great for a good reaction rather than the existential horror. Someone's just going, oh, my God. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, and you're not going to feel that when watching a YouTube video. You won't feel the same dread that the player is feeling. So the easiest way to entertain the audience is by having jump scares in your horror game and then you you see the person streaming the reaction that's the point of it yeah the opposite of that is that kind of existential dread that i thought another very famous game uh, gone home yeah <laughs> yeah i thought it was a horror game for almost yeah. the entire game i would, i treated it as a horror game yeah. i was scared worried all the way up yeah. to the attic right yeah i mean i i got up to the attic Absolutely. and it was like oh, oh my god this is a horror game something's gonna happen you're just winding me up winding me up it's very good at keeping you on like on the edge like your anticipation of something is going to jump out you around this corner something's going to happen but like we spoke about it in previous episodes on the podcast but it just does its atmosphere so well like being in an, aban an abandoned house and you can hear the rain going outside for the constant duration. It's like uh, you're slowly walking your way around the house just looking for anything, just any other sign of, sign of life. And you see things like TV left on in an abandoned living room and stuff like that. And then you hear something get knocked over somewhere else. And it just, it, those little like, they're not jump scares in the traditional sense where something bursts out and breaks at you. But it's just as soon as you hear that, you're now on edge again, trying to figure out where it came from. Because you've not encountered anything else in it. Yeah, it uses all the language of horror, and then and then subverts your subverts your expectations. I think through the trailer and everything, it wasn't presented as a love story. Obviously, that was the twist in the the whole thing. So it was everything made you feel like, oh, is this is this a horror game? But yeah, you, you kind of realize it. I guess once you find out that it's a love story, you kind of start feeling, oh, okay, all those extra horror uh, tropes were not were not really. Where they're just there to trick me. Sure, but uh, as in, like, as from a designer's point of view, like the things that are put in there, and, and narrative, I guess, but we have like right angle corridors, we have like doors that come out onto the corridor. You go, like, okay, I, I can walk past this one, but will something jump out at me? Uh, we've got hidden passages and stuff like that in the house we've got like this love story but even when i was playing it and le learning about the love story i'm going oh no what's you're just setting me up for something even more horrible aren't you you're gonna tell me <laughs> yeah, all yeah. about i'm gonna discover all about these people and the mother went out with an axe murderer yeah you know it's gonna be like the shining and here's her head there. so yeah and then at the end it was like oh no it's it's okay it's okay there was also this the side story of the ouija board if, if i'm pronouncing it correctly it was like a ouija board and the the people in the house were like kind of using it and there was meant to be like some sort of ghost but it was all imaginary play but that added up to the idea oh is there actually something behind that panel behind that door in the attic it's a paint by and i mean this in the nicest way it's a paint by numbers horror game that isn't a horror or it turns out it isn't a horror game right yeah, exactly i think you're you're right it uses that and i think it uses that very cleverly to to elicit a kind of emotional vulnerability in the player 
so that by the time you've got to the ending of the game, you are kind of open for something to happen. You're hoping for some sort of catharsis. And that when that happens and you get the love story, it's like it, you, you are more open to receiving that. Whereas if you, I think you spend the whole previous hour being bored or something, um, I don't think it would have had half the impact or even, you know, mm-hmm. 1% of the impact. One of the things that I've always heard about uh, cr- creating horror, horror games is that it's the sum of all things. So we, I know we're a level design podcast, but, you know, can you imagine the level designer at Kojima Productions going like, here's the level for our horror game? And you go, well, it's just an L shape, mate. Like, seriously? <laughs> it just seems that it's, a, it's a, such a hard thing because you have to put so many things in there. You have to get the sound in. And you have to get other things in. Again, having said that, I, I've told you about a game that I was working on, and the designer that, that had put in a, a a scale model of of a character, but he'd left the camera when you start playing right next to him. So, like when I started playing, I looked around and and there was this scale model thing right next to me on the left that made me jump six feet. So maybe I should eat my own words that you can, you know, present horror in a in a very minimalist thing, but. Uh, What's well, an alien isolation? They didn't know if it was all going to work until they got the sound, they got the, the full on atmosphere, and then you could like do like. That mannequin you mentioned, uh, that reminded me of The Last of Us. I think it was part one or maybe the DLC that had like a, a cutout of, um, I don't know, a salesman person or whatever in, a far, in an abandoned pharmacy, and it was kind of dark. So when you walked in and you saw that cutout, you thought. Oh, you thought there was danger there. Yeah, like you immediately turned towards it and aimed. It's like, oh, okay, well, but it's just a cutout. There was nothing actually there. So it was subtle horror just by placing something that your mind thinks is a danger to you. So it plays tricks on you and you kind of get scared. But it's also placed where you would place a like a, a, a clicker or, or, or run or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? It's like you'd have like the light ahead of it and then... you. You know, you'd see it just at the right point, where mm-hmm. you, where you're kind of used to the scares coming from. Mm-hmm. It's sure. kind, of, it's something like that, especially in a game like The Last of Us. It's almost like it is a trap because if you shoot that sign, all the enemies are going to come to you, right? They always want to sound, so they're going to converge in your position. <laughs> True, yeah. you can run away and hide and try again, but it is like it could almost be seen as it's a little trap. And if the player does fall down that or fall for that trick or that design trick, then it changes how they have to get through that space. I think sometimes you do need a jump scare just to to break the kind of any a sort of building tension and sometimes you could you could use like a kind of um, a trick jump scare which is like uh, Jonesy the cat jumping out in aliens in alien sorry right where it's you know you get it's, it's a shock but it's like oh it's just the cat it's just like oh okay all right mm-hmm. and then that space did that really well with a uh, was it a fan that that it had? It was that there's one area that has got the most grotesque sound behind the door, and you open it, and the, and the sound becomes even louder because it's obviously something disgusting and horrible happening on the other side, and it's just a misfunctioning air vent that has got stuff. 
But I think then another event blows open and the monster comes out. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like uh, you can do jump scares in a lot of ways that isn't just, oh, you open a door, there's like a um, scary music, but nothing happens. I think jump scares like that are good, for example, in Dead Space, like you said, they have like these corridors and there's vents on them. And the enemies have, are built to be able to like come out of the vents. So when you walk through a corridor and you see a vent ahead of you, you're like, oh, oh, an enemy is going to come through, but then nothing happens. And then you walk towards the right maybe and you continue and then suddenly from behind you the vent like breaks open and the enemy comes so it's like it is kind of a jump scare but at the same time it's not really built anticipation you made you think that it's okay and then it was and then it happened or like in outlast even you kind of have this like slower moving sessions and at one point they have to have a chase sequence so the jump scare will happen then and then the chase will begin so it, it, it turns into action so the jump scares can be they turn from being just simple, hey, scary sound, a dangling corpse from the ceiling to to actual gameplay. And I think we're we're very attuned to jump scares in a certain way because we, if we've watched horror, we've we've watched, you know, any TV series or anything like that. An example of it that and and is is making me think of the Man of Medan and all the dark pictures anthology. Is the the usual close up? I'm not going to do the podcasters can't hear, but we have a close up which is you just see the head and shoulders and there's something just behind them. Now it's so blurry that you can't see because you're literally focused on that. And the camera comes out slowly and then you see something over their shoulder and it's nothing, but it's like that, that's an ins- instinctive to media literate, literate people. It's a thing that you know that happens. So you can do that kind of thing only if you're controlling the cameras. We're going back to these, to these games, but we're kind of used to that. Like, that framing you know and we're used to being scared by these things there's one type of horror uh, that you reminded me of there's one type of horror we actually haven't talked about i think that's the evil we've seen it's very different it's more it's not exactly jump scares or anticipation it just has different types of moods and a lot of core you can say um so do you have any like favorite games that fall into that category like evil within style horror oh well fear F-E-A-R. First Expeditionary Advanced Response or something, wasn't it? So the first one was uh, was the first game to scare me in a very long time. And obviously this is when the rings coming out, the grudges coming out, so it's obviously influenced by a lot of this kind of stuff. But it just like had a lot of the psychological, the gore, and like it was a very different take on horror. Because obviously it was still a first-person shooter at the same time, but it was just, yeah, just having her appear and she was your jump scare throughout the entire game. And I, I distinctly remember going through events and she just crawls towards you and disappears. And I was like, yeah, I'm done. Um, <laughs> I was like, I finished the game, but it was just that bit. I was just like waiting for, to find her. And it was a really good use of just that character throughout the entire thing. Because she would appear, you could miss her as well. There was loads of it where you just see her while you're exploring and it would be doing something really horrific, usually destroying someone. And, and that was a horrific thing, right? Well, I was just imagining that kind of horror, I guess it can be described differently because we have, you know, it's the same with movies. We have psychological horror, we have thriller, and then we have just horror, we have slasher, we have, we can even say we have terror. Like, do you have, is that what we just describe as terror rather than horror? In fear? I think it's psychological. Psychological, yeah. Mm, Okay. The story and the characters that appear in that game, they're kind of in your head to a degree. 
throughout the entire game. So it's a lot more psychological. Similar to, for me, the evil within plays more on a psychological size than what it does to me on a terror size. Mm -hmm. uh, it's this unreliable reality kind of aspect because in fear, if I remember right, by the way, I've got the original PC game and I can't install it, I think, anymore. I've downloaded it from there. But, but one of the things, as you say, is that events would happen whether you're looking at them or not. So they'd be triggered and, and you could be looking somewhere else. And I remember one point going like, oh, wait, you're not like forcing my face to look at this thing that you spent some time doing. You know, you're not, I don't know how to say it, like you're showing me the thing. Is The thing is just happening whether I'm not that important in, in this whole scheme of things. And that's kind of scary as in a game because you're the most important person in the game, right? You're the other player. So in, in Fear, one of the reasons that works so well is because what would usually happen to... I can't remember the name of the guy, but there's the guy in Alma and those are the two people you see going throughout the game at like various points. Because like Mark said, you don't have to be looking at it. You could turn around to go down a corridor or whatever and they would dissolve. Like at the end, they would dissolve, right? And you just see the flakes left like dropping down the corner so you know you don't know if it's she's around that corner or something's mm. going to happen but you just see the remnants left behind and it's quite that's enough to put you on edge immediately i'm trying to think of films that have awakened that kind of terror in me i always remember the although it gets spoiled a bit by some of the weird monster designs but the 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 hell world in hellraiser that kind mm. of uh, bleak mm -hmm. uh, geometrical landscape that goes on forever, that sort of the labyrinth. Yeah, and that that kind of, it's it's in every single games uh, horror games um, uh, mood boards is uh, Mr. Beksinski, the artist who's uh, created mm. these really horrific uh, landscapes and things, the sort of cursed landscapes with these weird cursed figures wandering around in them. I think there's something that games should do more is take advantage of the fact that they are creating fantastic worlds to create something that is beyond what you expect and goes to a dimension that isn't just about uh, what's there in the world in front of you. So in Dead Space, something that goes beyond the, um, the fact that there are scary monsters on the ship with you, something that takes it into the realm of sort of cosmic horror or the horror of uh, existence. You know, like in um, right, Dead Space had that. I mean, Dead Space had their the religion. Yeah, I suppose it did have that, but I, I didn't wasn't so convinced with that as I was with, uh, for example, in Event Horizon, when they right. when they re mm -hmm. when they redo the video and shows the crew dying in hell, that that is like a kind of a really it, mm -hmm. it takes it to another dimension of fear. The that's fact observation, the game for you, I think. Observation was like about cosmic horror it it was about dread and it, that was actually terrifying that that was about terror it wasn't about horror it was it was very different i don't know have any of you played it not oh, all yeah. the way through yeah, afraid. yeah okay so that wasn't about jump scares or anything like that it was atmosphere and it was something happening that you you weren't able to put your finger on exactly and it was something weird at the end too it was pretty much I can't explain it even. It was very different from other horror games. I don't even know if I can call it a horror game, but it was definitely like in the, in the scary section, yeah. I think in some ways the, the easiest way to make a horror game is to go with something that the, that the, that the audience is familiar with and then put, put something that they understand from their day-to-day -day lives and then put scary things in it. Whereas if you... It was interesting to me earlier, Val, when you said um, about Legacy of Cain, 
scaring you. Mm. And that is such an alien world. It's so almost, mm. there is so much mm-hmm. that it's almost beyond the understanding. And that, I, I, I do love that in games. And, and that, you're able to do that. I mean, at, at a, I mean, depending on the budget, but even in, on, on smaller budgets, you're able to do that quite simply just by subverting that one thing, right? I, I just wanted to say that in Dead Space, before it came out, there was a lot of promotion and there was like a comic book and there was a movie, a DVD that came out before the, the game came out or after, I can't remember. And the DVD was all about these people starting to worshipping this helix that and which wasn't really touched on on the game, but it's 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 kind of like that that massively ex- existential thing. Dead Space Two had more of that, I think. Yeah, it was in the sequel. You got more of the kind of wider lore from the anime and the comic and stuff like that, and the religious cult side of it. And that's when it starts to play with you a bit more. And then you combine that with the horror, then that kind of just exaggerates everything as well, exasperates it. Yeah, I definitely think we need more horror games that are more terror games instead. It's like we we don't have that kind of feeling usually you, you get that kind of feeling maybe in films like the ones you mentioned or even uh, now i'm just thinking of annihilation i know it's not really a horror horror game but it kind of has that existential dread and it's, i guess it's what stephen kicks said is like i'm gonna misquote him now but something like terrorists coming back home and realizing that all the objects that you have home are, have been replaced with the exact same copy so it's not yours anymore it's it's someone it's something else but it looks the same so that kind of feeling is kind of terrifying it was already like it gives giving me goosebumps right now thinking <laughs> about i don't think we have <laughs> i don't think we have enough of that in games yeah that doppelganger effect i think some of the really good experimental horror that's being done is being released on places like itch with tiny little horror games very very small budget where they can try really really interesting new things um, I'm thinking of games like September 1999, um, and also was that the one day one? The, the September 1999 was just like pretty one much house. You, you're in a kind of little house. It's very like uh, PT in a way. In yeah, that you get you're in a sort of time loop that implies right. that there you've done something, that and you feel you do feel a kind of a sense of guilt about what you think you've done because you you take on a role in that thing. And I think that I think someone said earlier that the the, the player plays along with horror games the player wants to be scared and so you take on that role in the environment and then you suddenly realize that in that role you've done something horrible and that is a that's a very powerful thing i think the 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 experimentation goes on there's always been this real interesting dialogue between horror as a kind of underground genre a a genre that's quite small and people's attempt to bring it up into the mass market i think that's why dead space was so brilliant but also difficult for EA to handle um, and it was the reason why the new Alone in the Dark, the more modern Alone in the Dark didn't quite get there it was trying to push what can often be gameplay mechanics that are really quite unpleasant and horrible to play and frustrating to play and then trying to put that into a game that you want to sell 50 million copies that is that that doesn't ever really quite add up and and here's the thing about mo- uh, horror movies, like historically, all the way from the slashes, from from the video nasties, from all of this, they were cheap to make, and they, you know, made three times the the their money or something like that, which is great in Hollywood terms, right? The problem we have now, and this is like old man speaking, so I apologize 
everyone on the world was that one of the things that frightened me the most non-game things was the Blair Witch Project when it came out oh that terrified right? me completely yeah because before it came out they said this is found footage and you'd believe them right and I know everyone's laughing I go why would you believe that it's like no, this is footage we found. We've edited it into a film, and we're presenting it. You, if you went to the Blair Witch website, the official website by the by the small company that released it, it was just like here's the history of the town. Here's the uh, here's the other things, and this is the person that found the footage. This is all the footage that we found. So when you went to see that movie, you're there going, oh my god, th th these poor people. I mean, then you find out that it's a that it's a that it's not, but. That you can't do that gimmick again, right? No, and it's <laughs> very like, difficult the, to do that the, in the a game because once it, you, I think the way that you could do it is present a game that you say is one thing, and then you twist it completely. Yeah. In the middle Just of the like game, gone home. Yeah. yeah, something like yeah. something like Frog yeah. Fractions, but AAA, where you're playing it and suddenly it all switches over, and it's so much deeper and more horrific than you anticipate. But then. How can you sell that game in some ways, and will people buy it? And how long will people buy it and play along with that? And how long will they just go, oh, let's just get the boring trick stuff over with, so I can play the good bit? Hmm. And hopefully, with gameplays like the Dark Pictures anthology with Man of Medan and and Medium and and the other the other team that I don't think we even touched, which I which I really appreciate the games is the the Bluebird team. They do. Uh, there's a fear for example uh, observer not observation but observer and they did the Blair Witch Project which is you know doing such beautiful stuff that I think you need to maybe it's just my my, my, my personal thing but you have to keep them cheap do you know what I mean you have to keep them low budget or aim it at that budget aim it at the, the budget that you're going to sell little because you might sell loads I, that's why I think it's so difficult for the AAA thing. That's why Fear is good as a horror game, but it's actually a shooter. And that, that's one way in, whereas uh, Alien Isolation, for example, was obviously not a shooter. Uh, I found it very frustrating and difficult to play and scary, but almost too difficult. Whereas uh, Fear, at least you had the kind of gunplay to, to fall back on. I and mean, I think if you look at some other ones, like, I mean, Alone in the Dark, yeah, so that was a horror one. The modern Resident Evils, they went more to shooty because, again, you want to sell it to more people, right? I mean, 5 went five took it to the extreme because it went super action-oriented and became a co-op game while still using the Resident Evil like licensing characters. 6 was like even triple the amount of action. I don't remember being scared at all. But 5 still had kind of like... I think it was fun. 5 was fun if it wasn't... If you did think about it as a horror game. But 6 wasn't even fun. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's one, one thing I will agree with 5. 5 was fun from a gameplay point of view. But for, it wasn't Resident Evil as you remembered it, right? It was them trying to make this mainstream action game while using the story of Resident Evil and then 6 went off a cliff and if you're going to do that you might as well play Left 4 Dead right <laughs> which I don't yeah multiplayer horror is a wonderful <laughs> a wonderful thing we didn't talk about that I guess mm. yeah I mean for World War Z is a great game as well I mean and the, but I mean can you call it horror I mean it's I get it the zombies and zombies are meant to be horror but it's it's a like I I, I never found myself terrorized or scared in this i mean i'm scared that i'm gonna die in in a virtual thing having said that you have like stuff called like half-life alex which we haven't talked about much which is you know you talked about headphones but vr in horror 
That's like a real mm. delicate line. Yeah, if you, ta- if you take Dread Halls, for example, that's the, sim- the simplest possible game almost you could make. If you, if you tried making that in a, uh, on a flat screen version of that, it would just be people are like, well, what, why should I play this game? Whereas in, in VR, it was terrifying, totally terrifying. We should make another new episode about horror VR. Right. Uh, There's still so much that people haven't done, so... Well, I think we should talk about VR because I think that there will be some stuff, but we'll have to do that in another spooky episode. Do we have to wait a <laughs> year or can we talk about horror again? <laughs> I, I will bet you any money there will be some horror games between now and next year. But on that note, I think we should uh, wrap up this episode. So, uh, going round, after this episode, favourite horror game, go, Valentina. Silent Hill. Jonathan? Uh, Resident Evil 2 Remake. Resident... Oh, okay. I-, I see the remake thrown in there. Rob? Probably System Shock 2. Oof. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go for Alien Isolation. In mixed... All the things that I really loved. Aliens, isolation, and horror. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, thank you, everyone. Thank you for for doing this. And have a spooktacular Halloween. Goodbye. Bye, guys. Bye. The Level Design Podcast has been a Command Studio production. Our editor is Matthew Lever, And this episode has been produced by Bridie Rose.